This week's episode of the Screenwriter's Rant Room is brought to you by avgearguy.com. If you have any photos or documents that you need to scan or videotapes or audio tapes or film rolls that you need to import into your computer, check out avgearguy.com. If you mention the name of this podcast, when you order, you'll get 5% off and a portion of your order will go to help support the rant room. All these formats degrade over time and are sitting ducks in the case of fire or theft. Why not convert it all to digital? All of your memories could be stored safely on the cloud or on a hard drive that fits in your pocket. AVGearGuide.com has over 30 years of experience with all kinds of media, digital and analog, and they can accept orders from anywhere in the United States. Don't forget to mention the Screenwriter's Rant Room and get 5% off your order. For more details, visit their website at avgearguy.com. I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Rant Room What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room, where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what, Lisa? It, it is, is what, what it is. is. Yes, uh, 2020. Exactly. We change it every, every like, probably like five or six months, and um, the, the climate that we're in, you guys, is it just cause for, you like, it's like, it is yeah. what it is right now. Yeah. We can't even be happy about, you know, about claiming anything right now. It's just like that, that time, so... Anyway, um, y'all, you guys know how we do it on the Rant Room. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture. But our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. See, you got my girl. Oh, y'all heard that rhythm, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. That's our song right here. When you say the word story, that's our song right there. <laughs> <laughs> Steven was over there giving it the old school. Okay. Hey. Get in. We got... We got Lisa Bolakaja in the house. What's up, yes. Lisa? Lisa, how you doing, hey, girl? Hey, hey, still here, still hanging. Yeah. Still here, still here. <laughs> y'all, y'all still be getting in trouble with your neighbors playing your movies at night and stuff. No, we did really good last night. I did uh, a little bit of Tierra Whack. One of my favorite rappers, um, brand new rappers, came out a couple years ago, and she is phenomenal. Like I, you know, I've been a big, fa- a big fan of Missy Elliott, but if you like. Missy Elliott's kind of style and aesthetic in terms of being new, open to newness, alternative. Tierra Whack is that. And her album a couple years ago came out, Whack World. Mm-hmm. So if you want to check her out, she had an album that came out in like 2018 called Whack World. And the album's only like 15 minutes long. So oh, if wow. you that short if, songs, huh? Yeah. So so if you go on YouTube and you type in Whack World and watch the whole video, each of the videos are kind of linked in together. And okay. she gives you like maybe a minute and 20 seconds of music. It's phenomenal. It's on the level of like, kind of like Solange's album last year. Mm-hmm. 
uh, when I get home and she has like the visual, she's got like the little bit of the music. She's just one of those creative and I really needed to like listen to her and watch her yesterday because like, like we've been talking about the climate we've been in and I'm trying to hold on to hope and you know, I, it was really refreshing on um, Juneteenth to see Angela Davis out in Oakland yeah. still, still putting in that work. And I was like, oh, if she can still be out there, I, there's no excuse for me not to be feeling hopeless. Mm-hmm. You know, her being 76 out there and who's been through so much historically, I thought, okay, let me go listen to some music and some positive stuff. So I watched Juneteenth, Miss Juneteenth. Yes! Oh, Bahari. Oh. Um, just yeah. watched a lot of good black stuff. Like, I got to make sure people see that this weekend because oh, I really it was excellent. Oh my God. I enjoyed okay. it so much. And okay. we have to talk about that, uh, Stephen oh. and, 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 and Tanana Rio. We got to talk about sure. all the stuff that went online with Nicole Bahari. Oh, are we talking about that? Yes. Oh. It's like, oh. and listen, I didn't know you were bringing it like that. Listen. <laughs> This is family here, so we can okay. go in and talk and be all right. Okay, we'll and, and just that. really get into a lot of a lot of stuff. So anyway, I'll we'll, I'll we'll move on, but I just want to make sure I'm a I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you lead this today. Oh. Go ahead, yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if anybody's uh, how can I put this? Um, I've written about it before a couple years ago. Um, was it two years ago, uh, Tanana Reeve, that you were the guest of honor at WISCON? Was it two years? It might have been two years. Okay. Passing so quickly. Yeah. So if, uh, if I think I it happened last year, it must have been right. 2018. Uh, as everybody knows, like one of my favorite conventions to go to is WISCON. It's one of the right. oldest feminist science. She promotes the shit out of that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's kind of like, it's like, you know how some people have homecomings and stuff? Like I go there and I see all of my friends from all over the world, people for who were, were in Clarion with me, people who've been through Vana, who've been some of your students to Nari when you've taught yeah. Vana. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a really, I don't know, it's just one of those spaces I feel really comfortable in and they're always on the cutting edge of how humans should be treated. And you know, sometimes they make mistakes, but they do their best to try to be inclusive and trying to be I don't know. It's just a really wonderful place to go. And I love going there every year. Last year was the first year I ever missed it mm. because I was going on a cruise later on and going Ooh. to New Orleans and going to some black romance writers conference, the black women in New Orleans. Like, oh, I can't do two, two, three, three, one year. I, I remember cruises. Yeah. But I remember um, that that the year that uh, Tanana Reed was the guest of honor, she had asked me to write like the essay inside the Wiscom booklet. And I think in the essay, I talked about how I was first introduced to Tanana Reeve. So I think I'll go in that flow. And it was due to a friend of mine in San Diego, um, Luana Richmond. And Luana uh, is one of our Patreon supporters. Hey, Luana. Mm-hmm. And a couple years ago, I had just moved to LA and I had went back to San Diego to hang out. And she handed me two books. And she says, you, because I was excited because I, when I was in San Diego, I used to work at a bookstore called Pyramid Books. It's one of the first in you know, one of the few Black-owned bookstores started off in the East Coast in D.C., and they had an opening in San Diego because the owner in D.C., his mom, lived in San Diego. So it was my first job in terms of being in a bookstore that was specifically targeted for people of African descent. And it's my oh, first okay. its my first encounter with Octavia Butler's work, um, just the African diaspora. We had so many... I mean, we used to have... Um, Kwame Ture came through there, Rosa Parks. Like, I got pictures of all these big... I mean, I sold books to like, you know, Chuck D from Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. Like we had like anything that was black, 
came through. They came through San Diego. I mean, Keith David, one of my idols. Hey, I saw, I saw yes, I sold a book to him. And like, we, it was just that, that space. And um, during that time, I came back, had moved to LA and I was excited because Esawan Books, which is another well-known black bookstore, yes. um, I used to go visit because whenever Octavia Butler would go do a reading or have a new book, I would get in the car and drive all the way up to LA to go see Octavia. So one year I was coming down and I was telling my friend like, oh man, I'm really, you know, I'm having a hard time finding a lot of like good black sci-fi <laughs> stuff. I'm familiar with Steven. Steven, I'm familiar with your work. And it was just like, I, you know, I had just discovered Octavia and I was like, I just got to like find some more stuff. And my friend handed me two books. She handed me William Gibson's book. Oh God, which one was it? Was it the yes. Oh wait, or was it cyberpunk? It was one of the, it might've been Neuromancer, one of the cyberpunks, the one that really- yeah, Neuromancer was, is often considered to be the first major cyberpunk. There you go. Uh, it was that one. And then she also handed me this book, Tanner. I don't know if you can see it, but it's My Soul to Keep. Oh, I still okay. have the original copy. And um, she handed me these two books and she said, you have to read these two books. And like, I trust her judgment. Because at the time, you know, Luana, we both were graduates of San Diego State University, and we were famous for having the bloodless coup at SDSU, where we used to be known as the Black Student Union. We changed it to the African Student Union. Like, we just took over and just blackety-black everything. <laughs> and when she handed me this book, I took it home, and I remember reading on the back, and it has, like, a blurb from Stephen King and Octavia Butler and, mm -hmm. of course, Tina McElroy-Ansa, all favorite writers. Great. And I thought, okay, if these people are putting these blurbs on here this book must be good. You know, like they know her, they've read this book. I've got to read this book. And I was hooked. And like a couple of years later, I went to Esawan bookstore and I went there specifically to go see Tanana Reeve. And it was when, oh God, I think it was the second book. What was the one with the cover, the gorgeous cover with the bees? Was it the blood? Oh God, the lich blood. And I went and I was like, oh my God, it's Tanana Reeve due. And I have the original book. And Tanana Reeve, you were so sweet. Cause I knew I was probably like the weirdest, like nerdiest person. And Not so she's, she's Tanana Reeve signed my Not book. She signed my book. She was so sweet and she was so open to everybody. She was just like Octavia. Even though Octavia was a lot more introverted and very shy, Tanana Reeve was just very open. And it's like, oh yay. Now, Two years, maybe a couple of years after that. It's a long ass story. No, it's not. No, it's not. I'll make it quick. I'll make it quick. A couple of years later, I'm in my hometown in San Diego for Comic Con. I told the story before Tanner Reeve. Tanner Reeve is on one of those those uh, those yeah. bicycle peddlers. So I'm walking with my friend Todd, and we're like, we're going to hang out. And like, we go to Comic Con every year. And I look, and it's not that many sisters that wore those gorgeous short fros and who just looked melon and popping. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know where you were going, Tanana Reeve, but I remember I was eating some Godiva chocolate ice cream. We had like these waffle cones. Oh my god! And I, and I grabbed, almost dropped my ice cream, y'all. I grabbed my friend's arm <laughs> and I said, "I think that's Tanana Reeve." And my friend says, "She doesn't say something." I said, "Well, she's in the bicycle thing. I'm not going to run after it and look crazy." <laughs> and so she says, "Well, just call her name. If she looks, we'll know it's her." And so I go, "Okay, Tanana Reeve, do." And then you looked around, I'm like, oh my God, she's like totally thinking stalker person is coming after her. I was so mortified. I was like, oh God, that was the worst thing ever. Because like the look on your face is like, oh my God, who knows me down here? What is well, happening? Listen, listen, <laughs> you know? That was how I felt. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, I was, and, I, and I was sitting there like, ah, one day. And it was like, I think it was you who had mentioned 
um, Nalo Hopkinson. Like you mentioned a bunch of new up and coming, like black, specifically black women, sci-fi writers. I remember writing on my notebook and writing these names down and to come full circle, you know, to, to wrap the story up. It's like all those people that I've read for years or all the people who I look up to are people that I actually know now. Like I can literally go on a phone or text a message. I've broken bread with them. Um, Steven and, and also with Steven and also with Tanana Reeve years ago, we did the Ferguson is the future in Princeton. Yeah. And that was amazing because it was like, they put us up in like this bed and breakfast with just us. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those rare moments, like those rare pivotal moments. Like if I could bend back time and have that over again, I would. Yeah, it was one of those moments where hair and, oh and calm each other and, if you can ever have a time where you can be with all your heroes, people who you looked up to, I mean, because of Stephen Barnes, you guys, I was able to write my very first script. Mm-hmm. Hey. She, she talks about that all the time. It's true. I, I was going online. I was like, well, who can help me? Like, I'm brand new. I don't know. And this is what I didn't know anything about screenwriting, you guys. Like, I took Octavia Butler's book, like, uh, uh, Parable of the Solar, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to write the screenplay. And <laughs> I'm just going to do that. That's a damn fine exercise. And mm-hmm. then I did, did write that. And then I went online and then I discovered Stephen Barnes. And I discovered that he had taught some classes. You know, I think it was at UCLA. Yes. And this is where it was a blessing in disguise. He had put the lessons online for free. Mm-hmm. And so literally it was like, I don't know, was it like a 16? I don't know how many weeks it was, but it was like basically he put a free class on screenwriting online mm-hmm. for somebody who had just got final draft who was like, I really don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do this. Of course, I had Sid Field's book, but I remember Stephen was very clear and he made it so simplistic. It was like, this is what you do. Put your butt in the chair, learn the craft. And I wrote my first screenplay, Skin, a horror screenplay that was later option due to Stephen. Fantastic. Look at that. And I ended up having you guys married together. Blew my mind. It was like, yeah, oh my we, god. We teach, we teach together. You know, they yeah. are the our Afrofuturism.com. You know, what, 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 well, we have Afrofuturismwebinar.com. But for writers, so this is a writer's uh, podcast. That program you're talking about, Lisa, is part of something we teach called life writing. And some parts of it are still free. We do a lot of free webinars. Yeah, we do as much, we do talks. as much as we can for free. Right. But, but we also but have the, a monthly registration service. Yeah, that's, that's lifewritingpremium.com. Yeah, life, yeah. And life, L-I-F-E, writing, obviously, writers, like lifewritingpremium.com. So, right. you know, that... That's not a plug at all. But, but what, I, what I will... <laughs> play, hey, plug it, it girl. Play no, it. No, the, simplest, the simplest formula, I boiled it down into six steps, okay? One, write a sentence every day. Mm-hmm. Two... You know, this is for at writers least, in general. At least. Write, write, write one sentence every day. That's your bottom line. Never do less than that, too. Write one to four short stories every month. It could be, I don't care if it's a one-page short story. Or but, short but, films but, work. But, but finish it. But short film script would do it, too. Yeah. But one to four short stories per month. Three, finish them and submit them for publication. Let's, let's back up to that one. Finish them. <laughs> you can spend as long as you want to polish it, as long as you're finishing at least one per month. Right. So if you spend a year polishing one piece, that means you have to dash off several others. So it's like it, it, you're, you're trying to overcome every conceivable aspect of writer's block. I love what that. you want to do is to flip over the flat rock, which is your logic 
pretending that you don't have the time or don't have the ideas or it's not good enough. All the voices in your head that stop you, it's not that you want to turn the voices off. It's that you want to clearly force them to expose themselves so that you know, oh, in order for me to do this, I have to overcome this. Then right. you can just look for the resources. That's just you know emotional resources, therapy or NLP or meditation or whatever it is you're going to do. So a sentence a day, one to four short stories a month or short film scripts a month, finish it and submit a publication. For do not re once it's finished, do not rewrite except to editorial request. Or notes. You get you know, some notes back. Don't stop going back and redoing things endlessly. What you want is a process that yep. will over time make you better and better and better and better. It's like you don't try to perfect one workout, you work out again tomorrow. <laughs> so, the, the, the fifth thing is read 10 times as much as you write. Yep. That's where you're going to learn everything that you need to learn. And, and that is especially true for screenwriters. I mean, I know this is a screenwriter's podcast and probably most listeners know, but so many people make the mistake of thinking they can learn how to write movies by watching movies, no. which, which is the answer, the answer to that is no. you watch the movie and read the script at the same time. Oh, say that again. Every week, again. Every week <laughs> you watch a movie and read the script at the, the same, same time, time every week okay so and then the last step is you repeat this process 100 times before you even begin to question whether or not you have the talent to do it you 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 take that demon and you put it you take it out of the loop completely get so, behind me satan tell him yeah that's right. <laughs> the thing is you do not need to decrease the amount of fear that you have um. you know, you do not need to. People make that mistake of thinking, oh, I have fear, so I can't do it. No! It's that <laughs> people generally start in position A, their fear is at position B, and the thing they want is at position C. So you have to go through the fear to get it. No. Once you are clear that fear is just an emotion, it's not. It's nothing to feel guilty about. It doesn't mean you can't do it. It doesn't, doesn't mean, mean stop, don't. It doesn't mean you're weak or a coward or anything. It just means you're afraid. It, it's your body getting you ready to fight, to run, or fight, okay? Yeah. So you make your peace with it. You forgive yourself for being afraid. You admit that you're afraid. Then you look at the thing you want to do and you ask yourself, why do I want to do this? Mm -hmm. It is an expression of myself. It is a contribution to the world. It is providing for my family. It is fun. You you, you, you make yourself love the thing that, that you want to do, the result of the thing you want to do. Then you put your fear behind you, the thing that you love in front of you, and you run like hell. Yeah, listen, I want to address the difficulty of creation uh, during traumatic times, okay? Uh, because that's something that a lot of us are dealing with. I feel blessed, blessed, blessed that I learned from a very young age. My first Black Lives Matter moment before there was any such thing as Black Lives Matter was in 1980 in Miami, Florida, when police beat a motorcyclist, a black motorcyclist named Arthur McDuffie to death, which tried to make it look like an accident. So they lied about how he died got caught, went to trial, acquitted, and Miami burned. Mm. And the feeling I had in my chest, and I wrote about this in Vanity Fair um, after the most recent Black Lives Matter uprisings throughout really the world, but especially starting in, in Minneapolis and, and uh, other places. Um, <laughs> I learned that writing could make that feeling in my chest that uh, fear, really terror, you know, because if we don't matter, that means we could, any of us could end up getting killed by a police officer and, and there's no uh, justice and, and there's no uh, uh, punishment. Um, 
and no disincentive actually. So <laughs> I found that writing helped soothe that feeling. I wrote a like a poem called I Want to Live, kind of a utopian poem. Mm. And by the time I finished it, uh, and I, I recited it in oratorical contests, we were talking about Miss Juneteenth, yeah. which every yeah. voice saying that took me yes. back every yes. contest, every yes. NAACP acts of every, 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 black, every black event that every you got to sing up the songs. All yes. those things that we created as a community to help try to catapult the next generation beyond where our parents and grandparents had been able to go or to keep that that fragile hold on the middle class you know mm. so many fought so hard to get to so writing was always a relief for me so finding myself as a hypochondriac in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> <laughs> where i was waiting <laughs> I would wake up because it was cold when it started and we had the heater on and I would wake up with a dry, scratchy throat. Yes, I yes. was so sure day after day that I had <laughs> day after day. So I learned that writing could center me. It can help me. And I write horror for the most part. Mm -hmm. So that's a way of expelling yes. my fears and my anxieties and my traumas in a, in a way that's safe to approach rather than real life, which feels less and less safe. Uh, sometimes so yeah but i honor that some people are having a difficult time and are judging themselves because they they can't be creative and i don't know how to how to move someone from paralysis if they're really in an emotional paralysis you know sometimes it is okay not to write that's the thing i think a lot of writers also have to understand maybe what you need to be doing right now is building a garden in your backyard so you don't have to go grocery shopping so often or yes. any more time with your child who who will you may never have this opportunity again to be right. in other spaces well, 24/7 <laughs> right, right. Let, me on, let me put on my martial artist life coach hat for a second move completely outside the <laughs> writing and take a look at the question of fear yeah. and if you're paralyzed by fear what can you do right. and what you what you want to what you want to do is you want to hit the reset button on your neurology you don't you don't argue about it in your head get out of your head into your body so the way to do that specifically is every one to three hours i call it the five minute miracle because that's the way it works every the basic aspect of it is every three hours you stop and do 60 seconds of diaphragmatic breathing deep slow belly breathing if you will do that for 60 seconds once every three hours there's like nine o'clock in the morning noon three o'clock six o'clock nine o'clock if you're under a lot of stress simply do it at the top of every hour if you do that you will literally disrupt the stress spiral and reprogram your neurology for power. You turn you turn stress into energy because that's all you know. That's all stress is 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 that fear response, which is supposed to get you to do something. If you can't see anything to do, you get depressed. Depression yeah. is fear when there's no one to fight and nowhere to run. Mm. So by saying what I'm going to do is I'm going to breathe once every three hours. That's what I can do. Now you're taking fear and you're taking, you're turning it into action. Tananari wrote, which was one of the reasons why writing actually helped to transform her fear. Another reason is that it's self-expression. It allows her to actually play with the symbols that are running around inside her brain. And if you right. take the thing that's in your head and you put it out in front of you where you can look at it and manipulate right. it rather than it just running your game, you're playing with your demons rather than letting them hide in the darkness and just, just shred you. So, Simply stopping every three hours and breathing for 60 seconds. Go to a yoga teacher, a Tai Chi, a Qigong, an opera, 
teacher, a, a singing teacher, virtually, and, 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 and get them to teach you how to breathe diaphragmatically if you don't know how to do it. But if you do that for 60 seconds, once every three hours, in five minutes a day, you can completely rewire your body's reaction to stress. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm really glad you're talking about this because you know, Lisa and I talk about a lot about like, we don't believe in any such thing. <clears throat> you were starting to get to this, Stephen, earlier. There's no such thing as um, writer's block. You know? <clears throat> it's about you, mm -hmm. right? So I always talk about how if you ever sit behind me when I'm like, I'm sitting here at my house right now. We're about to go to lunch, but usually I'm at my office. And um, if you ever sit behind me, I have the script up that I'm writing, the outline for the next thing I'm writing. <clears throat> and minimize is a script that I wrote 10 years ago. So I, what I do is I have my whole list. I've written over 40 scripts. So I have a list of them, and I'll just randomly go this one, right? And I'll pick that, that one from years ago, and I'll just tweak it to who I am now. Ooh, right? that's great. That's so, a great yeah, And it, it forces me to do five or six projects a year, you know, because Very of that. Nice. So what I'm saying, and, and every, so my, when I get to my office, my, I set my alarm, 45 minutes. I write, you know, the phone's off you know not on my computer all that stuff the alarm goes off boom i stop i work out for 10 minutes i have a, my little gym stuff in my office 10 minutes i work out sure. and then and the reason is is i i I, um, I do a lot of assignments in the historical you know stuff so my brain is like oh my god if i get to deal with another person being hung yeah. you know whatever the hell you know slavery whatever and so i gotta switch my brain to the next thing so the next thing might be more contemporary Right. You know? So the music changes and I can shift literally as I'm working out. I'm literally becoming like Stephen was saying, I've sh with the breathing. By the time I'm done in 10 minutes, I can move on to anything, any genre. It doesn't matter. No, see, that's yeah. that you're, you're you're when you shift from one project to another, you're putting yourself into neutral. So imagine a stick shift. You can't go from third gear into reverse. You have to go through neutral. You have to stop. Then right. you can move again. So the problem that people people make is they go into one hyper excited state and then they try to move from there to another state. Now the truth is that everything that you do is just a different version of being who it is that you are. So right. you're playing with your cat or your dog, you know, you're making love, you're writing this project, this project, this project, you're doing your taxes, whatever it is you're doing, you're still you. So the yeah. truth is that with everything you're doing, the real discipline is what is the best you you can be. And, and, and I want to segue that into this point, because even though I have been very productive, not as productive as you, I have to say, <laughs> I, have, I have been very productive over the quarantine. I, I finished a novel I've been working on for seven years. Yes. Because I had, you know, using life writing and, and advice from my baby here, I had a page chart, you know, on my wall. And even if I didn't meet my quota, it was staring me in the face every day. Okay, okay. Right, pages, did you write five pages today? Mm -hmm. uh, or, or et cetera. But even with that internal drive, even with all the life writing, even with my history of understanding the relationship between writing and expelling stress, I still had to adopt new tools for these circumstances. And one of them has, has been gratitude meditation, being much more consistent about that. Uh, rather than being worried about what could be, you know, what's the use of worrying if you're not grateful for where you are, mm -hmm. right? So, and the second thing is a morning ritual, which which is uh, embodies a lot of what we're talking about. So getting out, for me, getting outside, I've had to make the backyard another room of the house. <laughs> As a true writer, I need solitude a little mm -hmm. bit at least at some point every day, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, so, sometimes, sometimes you need to change your environment. 
Yes, yeah. we absolutely yeah. do. So yeah. I've adopted the back room, the backyard as a room in the house. I can walk two miles of my yard in a circuit, you know, <laughs> which is something I never bothered to try to do <laughs> before the pandemic. But in 10 minutes, it's like you starting with um, an affirmation every day and every way I'm getting better and better, mm. then the gratitude, then um, planning out the day, like what are the steps to, to have an excellent day? What do I need to get done? What's the first thing I'm going to do when I get back in the house? And then ending it with like, Affirmations again. I am strong enough. I am smart enough. I do have the energy. I do have the resources. Now, now notice something. She's doing that while she's walking. And sometimes this is, I'm this is critical. Dancing. I'm listening to music. I'm listening. Uh, I got a feeling by the Black Eyed Peas. It's mm. like I'm getting in there. So the, the critical distinction here. There are three things you have to do to control your emotions. You have to control your body. You have to control your focus, and you have to control the language that you're using. So the morning ritual is simply bringing all three of these things together at one place in one time so that for 10 to 20 minutes a day, you're bringing yourself totally. You're, you're, you're going to be there totally. And if you do that, that single practice will transform the rest of your life. And hey, people, Steve, huh? how, did you, how did you learn this stuff? Is it just practice? Is um, it, no, is it practice. Just study this? this is the way I think. I am a science fiction writer. Right. And the science that I'm most interested in is the science of human, mental, and physical development. Okay. It's not physics. Okay. It's not, you know, it's not biology, although those are things that I that I do study. It is specifically how do people get what it is that they need to get in order to go go where they want to go. And because I have to not, you know, to because I have serious expertise as a writer, and because I have serious expertise as a martial artist. Mm -hmm. And because I've been married and you know, raised a family, so I say, if you have been married long enough to have raised a family, that's serious expertise. So, <laughs> right. so I have mastered three completely different arenas. And when you do that, you get to say, well, what is it that works in, in being a father and a husband? What works in, you know, in the three black belts that I have? What works in the 30 novels that I've published? What is the thing that is the same in all three of these things? And you look for the things that are the same in the level, in the areas of excellence that you already have. Yeah. Everybody's got them. If you will look at that stuff, then, you know, it's, it's so I always looked for the, the difference that makes the difference, the things that, that make you excellent. Mm. Whatever it is you want to do, mastery of mastery itself. He's he's mm. always noticing um, the patterns and what works and what doesn't yeah. work. And and I have found as an instructor, like uh, I taught creative writing in the MFA program at Antioch University of Los Angeles, and then their screenwriting mm. program in Santa Barbara. One of my best writers was a former pro football player, mm. and he just after playing pro football, he was he got a little scholarship from the NFL, and he was. Want to learn how to be a writer, and mm -hmm. I could just see. We never talked about this, but I could just see in his writing that he was taking every skill he had learned to, from the time he was playing Pop Warner football as a kid, to mm -hmm. make it into the NFL. Right. What lessons could he extract from that journey to really jumpstart him? So the writing. So and, once, and, yeah, and once he, you grasp that everyone listening to this podcast already has mastery of some area of their lives probably multiple areas of their lives. They discount it because they don't remember that once upon a time they could not walk, could sure. not talk, could not ride a bicycle, could not drive a car, could not make love. Because you don't look at, at, at that, we tend to forget mm -hmm. the process that we went through to become expert. As soon as you say, no, wait a minute, I am a master. And mastery is not 
something that's outside of you. It's mm -hmm. not something that it's not perfection. Master to master is a verb, yeah. not just a noun. It is a vector, not just a position. And mm -hmm. once you have learned the basics of any skill to the point of unconscious competence, where you can create with that skill under pressure, you are a master. You are on the road of mastery as much as anyone else has ever been there. So I I'm able it. to earn my way into the presence of writers like Harlan Ellison. Yeah. You know, but Octavia was a friend. You know, we, Octavia Butler. Octavia Butler was a friend. We could just talk about this. She had mastery. Okay, how did she do it? This is how much of herself she invested in this process. Oh, I see that now. Mm -hmm. I see how she became what it is that she is. It's not a mystery. Once, once you you see what it takes to lose weight, or have find a relationship, or, or 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 write a story that can sell, or earn a black belt, or whatever else that it is that you're doing, you start being able to say, "Am I willing to pay that price?" Right. And there and there's something special. I don't mean to cut you off if you have because once we get going, we we don't stop. Oh, no. Come on, yeah, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I feel like I'm in church. Get it? Okay. <laughs> Really <laughs> special um, and unfortunate, actually, about screenwriting in particular, is that you can be a professional level screenwriter and not know it yet, mm -hmm. because it is so hard to sell a script. Mm -hmm. So if you're a prose writer and you write a short story that is a professional level short story, I'm not saying it'll be easy. I'm not saying it'll be immediate. But if it is a pro level short story, chances are, if you keep sending out, you're going to find a publisher that's right. and that story will be published and other people can read it. And you get that sense of affirmation to write the next story. Right. Screenplays don't work that way. Uh, or or you could even publish that story yourself on Amazon and mm. have five star reviews and get those affirmations. True. Screenwriters don't have that. No one wants to read a damn screenplay, mm -hmm. uh, even other screenwriters usually, but 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 certainly not, <laughs> certainly not the mass public. Right. There is no so your collection of those forty scripts, and I love that you're going back and polishing it. We should do that with a, That's uh, interesting. a script we wrote based on the uh, inauguration of President Obama, where we, we wrote a family dramedy. Mm -hmm. We set up for a while. We were working with State Street, George Tillman's mm -hmm. company. We never quite got it to where we were on the same page. But that's something I've always wanted to go back to. And right. I think it's a great time capsule and we should revisit old scripts. That I, is think that the, brilliant. I think that the first or second draft of yeah. that is something we could actually take. Yeah, but, but, but so as a screenwriter, and you two know this, you mm -hmm. can be a professional level screenwriter for years and not sell a script. Because or, it's not just about how good you are at the script. It's also, do you have the right connections and is the culture, can the people with the money see how they can make their money back? Are you getting in the right rooms? I mean, we're not that far. I mean, we saw a film like Gold Circle the other day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I hate to call it out, but uh, since it's Black Lives Matter Month, we just have yeah. to call the truth. Call it. Tell it. We, we, we pitched my novel, The Good House, which is a haunted house possession novel. Mm -hmm. We had a huge team. I wrote about this in the introduction to a Jordan Peele's annotated screenplay to get out. I was really honored he asked me to write that introduction. So mm -hmm. I wanted to sort of school those readers about where black horror started, okay? Mm -hmm. Because Get Out was a real outlier uh, in a lot of ways because we went to pitch Gold Circle. We had Forrest Whitaker with, with us who wanted to direct. Right. We had Blair Underwood with us who was one of the producers and Nia Hill, D'Angela Proctor, 
Steve and I was there and we're all there. We give it, and we had that pitch down. We wanted to serve popcorn with that pitch because we had basically <laughs> written <laughs> I'm still in there. I'm still in my milk bag. Yeah, we're still in there. I need to serve popcorn with it. That's how good it's been. We knew we had it. We knew we had it. It was that, in fact, when we did finally sell it, we wrote that script in two weeks because that treatment was so tight. We knew it in and out. Uh, and they listened to it, and the the executive was like, oh, God, you know, I've got to say, I'm going to do a really bad English accent. Um, I really love that. You know, I really love it. But I, I'm not speaking for myself, you, you understand. I'm speaking for our investors. You know, we've got our investors. Do the characters have to be black? And yeah, the question that uh, often you don't get asked in the room, but you know that's the question that's being asked when you're not there. That's the question, even if they won't put it in writing. Mm-hmm. And it had come up before with my soul to keep years before when, right. when Samuel Goldwyn had it, like back in the 90s. And black film was huge in the 90s, even then. You know, my, my, even then, my, were... my, my first solo science fiction novel, they made a, a character who was described as being as dark as Shaka Zulu into <laughs> a white guy on the cover of the book. Yes. You know, uh, so so if, if you don't, if you're not willing to speak the truth mm-hmm. about the pressures that have mitigated against us, then it's very difficult to understand the results that we've gotten over the course of the century. Absolutely. So, I mean, even if you're a white dude screenwriter, you're still fighting, fighting, fighting to get in the room, Mm -hmm. in the meeting, get your script. But imagine you're a marginalized person where your basic humanity is being doubted or not, or at least they tell themselves to the filter of, will this translate to profits? Right. Right. Well, they're so, I mean, they always use the excuse of the Asian market. Well, then why didn't we see a bunch of Asian leads? I don't get it. You know what? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's about white supremacy is actually what I think it's about. Um, So we have to overcome both the difficulty of transitioning to screenwriting, uh, especially if you're an author and you've had to learn it. Um, But even taking all those skills that I used to try to master prose, um, Mm -hmm. even with the jumpstart I have that I didn't have to learn how to write a story by writing screenplays, even Mm -hmm. so, it's difficult to write scripts. I I like collaborating. That's why we collaborate. I feel like we have a super mind. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I can write a solo script. I've written solo shorts just for fun. But when it comes to feature scripts, why would I leave like X number of brain cells in another room? when I can have my collaborator, we can create a super story. Can I jump in in real quick just to say this? Because I know whenever, because these are my mentors. And of course, whenever you have your mentors in the room, I start to fangirl. So (laughs) I want to make it very clear that people understand who we have in the room with us right now. I mean, not only are they sci-fi, fantasy, horror writers, but Stephen has, has an Emmy for an episode of The Outer Limits. Well, one of my episodes won an Emmy. Amanda you know, right, Plank. Amanda won the Emmy for Best right. Actress in my episode. Right. Okay. That's right. <laughs> if it ain't on the page, it ain't okay, on the page. Okay. <laughs> and, and they've won an NAACP award for literature. Like, and of course, you know, Tana Reeves teaching uh, The Sunken Place. The, you know, people have been talking about it. It's been written up before with Jordan Peele. Uh, she's also one of the producers of um, Horror Noir. Mm-hmm. Um, like these are brain trusts. Like these are like these ain't no joke people. Like these are people who have put in work. These are people who like if they say something, I'm gonna listen and pay attention and take some notes. Okay. So it's always a privilege to have them. And so it's always hard when you have your mentors because it's like you just want to sit there and be like, eat some cookies and milk and just lay at their feet and like, please tell me well, all the I, I hope you understand. Yeah. I hope you understand um, that I feel utterly blessed to have had the mentors that I've had. 
-hmm. You know, people yeah. great in the field. I served a formal apprenticeship with two of the greatest science fiction writers of the 20th century, you know, mm -hmm. and I was friends with with others who were, you know, above me. It's not it's not putting myself down. It's saying that that the substance of my life has been distributed a little differently than these people distributed their mm -hmm. substance. So they deserve Octavia deserved to be a better writer than me. She put more of herself into it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I just Her look at life. I look at who she is and I say this is this is the way life is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. You know, if I had put as much of myself into it as she did, then I would have the right to feel good, bad, or indifferent about my our comparative results. But as you know, if somebody puts more of themselves into something, you hope that they'll go further. Life mm -hmm. is short. Mm -hmm. It is not a dress rehearsal. Mm -hmm. So right. it's like, you know, I look up and I think, God, I'm that old. I've been around this planet for that long. <laughs> Thank God I've got enough things, you know, that that help me to feel like I passed my time. Hey, Lisa, hey, Lisa. People. They're vampires, aren't they? Listen. I see y'all looking listen, like that. Listen, listen. 19 or 20 years old. I see Listen, they ain't changed. Like, if, you go back, if you go back and look like 20 years ago at pictures exactly. of both these two together, like Still I think same. I saw online many years ago, I think it's when you both met, when you first met each other. Oh, because yeah. I, I was watching, was it at Spellman? Where was it? It was some panel or somewhere. And Ooh, someone yeah, had Clark Atlanta, was Clark, Atlanta. Atlanta, Clark Atlanta, and someone had recorded, and I was watching that, and then to find out like years later that you two had gotten married, and it's like, oh my God, two people who I had no idea had a connection to, who mm -hmm. had such a huge impact on how I became as a writer. I mean, the star is lining up to have them be together. Well, I, I saw her, you know, I when oh, when saw each other. when when I first met her, I thought she was just an enthusiastic fangirl. Then I realized that she was an enthusiastic young writer. And I took a look at her first novel, The Between, and I realized that she was extraordinary. Mm -hmm. That this was not some writer that they'd invited because they didn't have enough people right, to fill out the, pro more. the program. Right, right. <laughs> she, she was someone with a destiny. She had done her homework. She was integrated. And at creating what I call a, a mimetic universe, a universe that, that mirrors our world, she was already better than me. You know, that, that I, I had, I have a lot of ego about myself as a writer, that. but I can look at what she had done. It's not that I don't have skills you don't have. It's that I'm, I'm looking at a skill that is very important and you were already, you were already progressed. So it, that was enough for me to want to respect her and to want to protect her. So my attitude was, I'm gonna adopt her like a little sister. Uh -huh. I did not Perfect. have, <laughs> I swear, I did not have designs on her until I saw her give a talk about how she got Stephen King to give her a cover blurb. Yes. And in, when I saw so, that. Cause let me tell real fast, yeah. depending on that, what had happened was, what had happened was <laughs> I was a reporter for the Miami Herald Okay. Uh, Dave Barry, who was also at the Miami Herald. Dave Barry plays in a band with Stephen King called the Rock Bottom Remainders. They're now retired, but they're basically a band of writers. And they were going to play at the Miami Book Fair. So I ran into Dave Barry at the cafeteria. I had made another run at him to ask for him to pass on a book to Stephen King, but he made it clear in, un in no uncertain terms that was not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, shoot, I guess I'm not going to ask that again. But I was a musician. I played keyboard. So I was kind of like, oh, I'm so excited. And this is true. It's not It's not um, BS if it's true, right? It's just right, 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 information. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited that the Rock Bottom Remainders will be playing. You know, it's always been my dream to be kind of like, in the, you know, but 
basically like spring training and like like to be in the I don't know what you call it. I don't watch baseball. The B team. The B team. Right, 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 right. right. Waiting or whatever. And he said, well, listen, uh, our pianist, our keyboardist, Mitch Album, is going to be doing vocals for the Elvis number. So do you know uh, Jailhouse Rock? And I, I was, I pulled a Bill Gates who did not have an operating uh, software when he sold Windows. <laughs> I was like, hell yeah, I know Jailhouse Rock, and, and, and they commenced to find a songbook so I could learn. One through party at Canada Jail. And it ain't that hard. It's all three chord rock, you know. And and that's how I met Stephen King, and I gave him a copy of The Between, which he read. So when I asked him for the blurb to My Soul to Keep, it was like one of the most thrilling moments of my life when I, I saw that envelope in my mailbox from Bangor, Maine. Wow. And, and, and I put it up to the light and it was like one of these two line notes. And I thought it was gonna be, sorry, next time, you know, your cube or whatever. But, but <laughs> it was, dear Tanana Reeve, if I may. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoyed the between, and I would be glad to blur my soul to keep your Steve King. And wow. I was like, geez, just memorize that shit. <laughs> so, so, listen, so I sat in the audience listening to her say that, and I thought to myself, she did a three wall bank shot on him. Mm. She used her position at the Miami Herald and her skill with music to get into a position where she could get to know him in a relaxed situation. Then she had done her homework such that when the door opened, she was ready to hand him something that was good enough to catch his attention. And I said, she is really smart. Mm. And then as always happens, this chill <laughs> ran up my spine. I mean, literally, it never happened to me before in my life. And I thought to myself, and she's really cute, too. <laughs> Almost as if I had not had permission to notice it. That's hilarious. It's like I got hit with this wave of energy, and it's like, oh, Steve, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> we were in love at the weekend. We were in love. Should I tell him what I, what we did, what I did? Yeah, tell them how you did it. What you did? Let me take one of the best moves of all time. I promise. I got my journal. I got yeah, my journal in my notes. <laughs> the next day, she oh. lived in Miami. I lived in Washington State. So there was no way. These ships were going to pass in the night. I had to get her attention fast. <laughs> and so I said, what do I do? So I looked around the room, and the woman sitting next to me, a couple seats away, had a baby on her lap. And I, 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 turned, I looked at the woman. I said, excuse me. May I borrow your baby? <laughs> and she said, what? I said, I just really love kids. I'd like to play with your baby for a minute. And she said, well, okay. She knew me because I'd been at the, at the event. So she gave me her baby. Tananari was down off the stage signing autographs for people. I got down on the floor, on the floor. in front of Tananari <laughs> and started playing with the baby. Wow. I knew that there was no way a professional black woman in her early 30s to look at an available black man who wow. is, has skills and loves children and would not, in her hind brain, would not go, ding, 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 check this out. Oh, trust me, I know this. <laughs> if, if I had not been sincere, if I had not felt totally overwhelmed with emotion, and if I did not actually love children, that would have been the dirtiest, nastiest Ooh, thing I have ever done in my life. If I if I'd done that to try to get her in bed or something like this. But right. I was just saying, I think you are the most amazing woman I've ever met in my life. And if you will just slow down 
and give me a chance to make a case to you. Give me a chance to let you get to know me. If it doesn't work out, no harm, no foul. But, but if you were to give me that chance, I swear to God, I would do the very best in my, uh, my ability. Trying to get a brother teary out. We had very chaste, uh, email-based courtship for about a year and a half. Yeah. And, and uh, Octavia and uh, Samuel. Wasn't all that chaste. Well, in the beginning it was. <laughs> and Samuel R. Delaney and Octavia, who were also there, science fiction pioneers, yes. um, sort of were giggling about watching a spark off each other. And one of the most startling things that happened in the weeks after that was I got a call from Harlan Ellison, who also had read The Between, and who, and as Harlan would, gave me corrections, you know, don't, yeah, like, you know, don't do this, don't do that, you know, he's in his gruff way. One day he calls up out of the blue and says, hey, is it true you're fucking Stephen, K uh, Stephen Barnes? And I was like, what? <laughs> I was just so shocked. I was almost speechless. But he, even he had heard. Word was getting around that we wow. had this, this thing. And to bring it to our more current work together, I met Steve through his television work. Because even before we were invited to Clark Atlanta, a well-meaning friend of mine was like, you know, I can think of a great match for you. His name is Stephen Barnes. And he listed a bunch of things about him. And he said he wrote for that, he's written for The Outer Limits, you should get to know him. So I was kind of in a position like, well, I don't know this guy, but let me check out this Outer Limits show. I hadn't seen the, uh, the 80s reboot of The Outer right, Limits. The I had never seen any of the episodes. And I was in a hotel room with my late mother, in fact, on a research trip when it happened to be on. And I was like, oh, this is the show that my friend was telling me Stephen Barnes has written for. Let me see if this is, you know, if that's anything that's impressive or not. Mm -hmm. And it was this amazing episode where Amanda Plummer was playing a scientist who had created mm -hmm. a time machine so she could go back in time to kill serial killers before they could strike. I had missed the first uh, five or so minutes, but that's, I a great, that's a great premise, by the way. That is a great premise. <laughs> called in time. I called my friend and said, hey, you said Stephen Barnes which for the outer, has written for The Outer Limits. Well, I just saw this show and it's amazing. I definitely want to meet this guy i described the episode he said that is stephen barnes's episode hilarious Steve, so, yeah, i think that it is so the universe was throwing us together yeah. man. the universe <laughs> the universe was very kind yeah in that sense i i feel that we have we genuinely do have a lot to offer each other you know i i am a very much aware that she is a queen and the world treats her that way as she deserves I love and it. And that it is it is my honor to be in her life and to support her and look, look, look at my mentors. Do you have a couple mentors? You have a couple of marriages and shit? No, we have we have a we have a course called uh, 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 the soulmate process. Right. Soulmate you know, and basically okay. if you want to know what it is, very simply, it's you write a list of everything that you want in a partner without any compromises at all. No compromises. Everything you want in terms of their intelligence, their body, their sensuality, their behavior. everything, their behavior, everything. Leave nothing out. Then you ask yourself a, a question that people do not want to ask, which is, what does this person deserve? Mm. Who would you have to be to be equal to this person? To be, to, a lioness needs a lion. Right. You know, if I'm not willing to step up, right. I couldn't be with her. Right. She's amazing. You know, right. I have to bring my A game every day. So that she doesn't blow me away, so I don't wither under her life. <laughs> in case, in case y'all can hear, my man said he got three black belts, so he got a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I heard you, Stephen. I heard you. So, so the trick is that you then you then love and forgive yourself for not being their equal in terms of you know everything that you are physically or mentally or whatever, and you set out along the path to become that person. Because the truth is, what you really want, what your heart really wants, is to be able 
to be the partner of a person that magnificent. If you love yourself and forgive yourself and set out along that path, what's going to happen is when you are totally committed to the path mm. and you've forgotten about looking for somebody else, you know, when the lover is ready, the beloved will appear. Ooh, don't you hate that advice? I know I hated that advice when I was single. But five years before I met Steve, um, I had an experience with a psychic who was like really the only, there might be two psychics I've encountered where I felt like, hmm, there might be something here with this person, right? And this was an older woman who lived by herself and she used her readings as a way to not be lonely, you know? So I went to see her and I was all about, where's my soulmate, where's my soulmate, where's my soulmate? <laughs> and she she held my hand and she was like, you know, I'm there's something there, I, I can't quite see it. But then her face just lit up and she said, you wanna write a book? Mm. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I was halfway through the between but she, my first novel, but she also knew that I was a reporter and all reporters want to write books. So I was not right, really that right, impressed right, yet. Right, right. <laughs> she, 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 she doing a cold read. Right, yeah. I know that. I know what a cold read is. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, I see a book wrapped in a gold ribbon. And I swear she said this. You're going to be like, like, mm. it's fumbled for the name, Maya Angelou. And I'm like, okay, lady. All right, now you're putting it on a little thick. But then she was like, you become who you're supposed to become. That's when you meet your man. Your man. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, on the basis of the between, I was invited to go to Atlanta University. And that was like the first all black event um, in speculative fiction, I think really ever, but mm -hmm. certainly the first I had ever been invited to. And that was when we met and it was like, boom, a bomb went off yep. for both of us. Mm -hmm. We just knew we were holding hands in the airport. Really? We literally said the word, <laughs> We could build an empire. <laughs> <laughs> but we were, we've, done, we've done the work. You fall in love with yourself first, to the point where you could love yourself. You could love a version of you. And when you do that, you will attract people who are at your level of energy and below. You are attracted to people at your level of energy and above. Where those two circles overlap, if you're not attracted to the kinds of people attracted to you, that means you wouldn't really be attracted to you. You know, so all you really need to do is raise your game. The responsibility is right. yours right. to love your either. You do one of two things, either raise your game or learn to love yourself more as you are. Either one works. Either one works. And I don't know how much time you all have. So I don't want to talk without getting to the Twilight Zone piece because we are super, super. I, listen, excited. I, I want to jump into that right now because okay. you guys have written an episode that has been produced and it's about, it's, it's, it's available to see right now on who? No, it'll be out on, on the 25th. I don't know when this is running, so. This is dropping tomorrow. Oh, so it'll be Thursday. Okay, so that yeah. helps us calibrate what we say about the episode, but we <laughs> just, we just screened it for the first time. Oh, see, okay. that's the screener, and we got to see it for the first time. And I'm not trying to be immodest when I say this. It is fantastic. I mean, you don't know how it's gonna turn out because mm -hmm. your audience members know a script is a template. Right. Television. Yeah, so this one and what what what's it about? Can you say what the okay. topic? Yeah, yeah. I can. We can tell you what it's about. So basically, um, it's about a handyman played by Damon Wayans Jr. Uh, it's called a small town. Called a small town. It's episode okay. eight, and they're dropping them all in a binge. We thought we would have to wait two months, and we get to see it premiere night. So yes, with, the new Twilight Zone people with the credits in. This one, right. Musa didn't have the credits, so that that will be a special thrill to see my name. I've never had uh, a piece of produced um, scripted television mm. uh, as a writer, right? Mm. So Damon Wayans plays a handyman who's grieving um, the loss of his wife, 
and it's and and uh, gosh, what are we allowed to say about it before it comes out? Well, we can't. We're not allowed to say very much about it, but it 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 involves a man who finds a way to magically affect what's happening in his town yeah, and what happens to him and to the town as a result. Right. Of this. I, think right. I think that's reasonable. Right. And, Perfect. And it has a theme of change. You know, we as Octavia fans had tried to like sneak in some Octavia references that didn't mm. make the final cut um, because they wanted to run them past the estate and, and weren't able to do that, which is fine. But, right. but we noticed right. that the theme does end up getting stated. And yes. so some mm -hmm. of that Octavia energy, uh, that, that quote from hers, the, the only lasting truth is change. We weren't able to use that in the final, but it I, that part of it powers the story and our ability to shape change. Because as Octavia wrote in Parable of the Sower, right, right. no one can stop change. Right. But we're all shaping change, whether we're aware of it or not. Right. right. And, right. and so this episode is literally about the power of shaping change. And and there's stuff in there that was cut. There's stuff that was changed. I mean, there are scenes I watched shot. I, I, I was able to spend a day on did, did you guys, I was just about to ask, did you guys? Only one of us could go because yeah. we have a teenager and we, and we don't leave him alone. And I, it, it, there was no choice. I've seen my stuff shot. Yeah. If neither of us had seen a shot, we could have flipped a coin. Right. But as it is, I've seen my stuff shot. I've had that pleasure. I wanted I wanted my baby to have that experience of seeing the words brought to life and a whole community. It's amazing. It's amazing. Oh, dream. It she, need, she needed that and she got epic. that. That's it was epic. I mean, I, I, um, I got to see the interiors. Apparently, you'll see when the episode drops that there's mm -hmm. a lot of snow. So apparently the main shoot was super cold and probably everyone was hating us. We said desert. <laughs> we didn't say anything about snow. And mm -hmm. that script, okay, that was not our fault. Right, right. I got to see them shoot in the interiors and just... The, the craftsmanship behind it, like the the magic workshop, creating the sets and the effects, right. and and to see the difference between what I watched with my own eyes in terms mm -hmm. of actor delivery and how small performances when you're mm -hmm. acting for the small screen as opposed to the stage, right. I couldn't even see half of what was in the performances mm -hmm. as a spectator. And then when you see it on camera, it's like a whole different delivery. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I was like, holy! It just so to watch it pop to life, the streamlining of it. Um, the characters, the story, a lot of the events, all of it is, is as we wrote it. And then there were times when they took symbols that we, we or themes that we kind of embedded and made them um, more um, see, literal. Well, see, that's one of the things that, you know, Stephen King will talk about. You, you write and then you put it aside for a month and you come back to it with new eyes. You might have noticed that when you're reading somebody else's work, you can see imperfections or possibilities that they could sure. not because, you know, their, their nose is right up against it. Mm -hmm. So you can't. See, this is art by committee, you know, Hollywood yeah. art by committee, especially in television where there is, it's art on a production line. You know, it's what has to be done fast. So what they've done when it works well is they have developed ways to, to push people, to nurture people, to then take it out of your hands and have other people look at it and bring this out, cut this off, twist, you know, it's not every writer can survive this process. No, I mean, you have to have a voice that is deep enough and strong enough that even after all the changes, you can feel your voice there and feel that emotional connection. Yes, that this is, was mine. That is our story, right? That is what we wrote, except it, it's also polished and it's also directed this way. Mm -hmm. And like even things that I watch shot, like dialogue in, in the final, they'll cut away before the last piece of dialogue is shot. Mm -hmm. And then there's a visual symbol, which we wasn't written in the script, but that's the director, that's the editor. Right. So 
the transitions, the transitions. Yeah, the collaborate. I mean, really, uh, I know a lot of writers can't stand collaboration, <laughs> but <laughs> I love collaborating with Steve. But this has really taught me, as I'm sure you saw with the Stitch in Time and Amanda Plummer episode, that when you take what's a, already, you know, in our minds, a good story, mm -hmm. and then hand it over to our team of pros, whether it's the cast, the director, the mm -hmm. editor. You know, the writers trying to fix a budget issue or whatever. It's, like it's their time to interpret now. Yeah, yeah and my, it's like, wow. Yeah, my, my, look first, at that. <laughs> my first hour long television episode was for a series called The Wizard. It was on uh, on on CBS, I think. It was shot over at 20th Century Fox, and it it, it there was a, a line of dialogue uh, where a geek says to this this actress, um, you know, that he doesn't want to be doing. X, quote unquote, I'd rather be doing stress tests with you. Hmm. And the way the actor delivered it, put in a sexual subtext that I had never thought about when I wrote the line, I'd rather hmm. be doing stress tests or you. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought about that and I, I realized then the same thing that Robert McKee said when I went through his class, that actors don't act the text, they act the subtext. Yep. Mm -hmm. So you have to leave room for the actor. The same thing is gonna be true, you leave room for the director, mm -hmm. for the editor. You trust that the other people involved are gonna bring the same level of talent, intelligence, and energy that you bring to it, and you, you turn it over to them, and you step back, and you let them do their thing. You have to have complete commitment to the craft, but also be willing to let your child go and grow up in the hands of right. I was I was just thinking about a couple things, to, uh, to Reeve, about how you go to see your first film shot, your first TV show shot with your words, you know, that you two wrote. And you and then you finally watch the final product and you watch this thing that was, you know, 54 page, pages or whatever it is, right. become this 46 minute, whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's right, right. That's all together in the music and the score and the, all that and the lighting and the color. And the, yeah. And so it makes you go, oh. I thought what I wrote was like that monologue there, but they ended up just giving it like one line instead. Right. You go, oh, I see exactly why they did it. <clears throat> and oh, yeah. then the next episode, the next thing you write, you start thinking like an editor. That's, see, that's that what that's, I wanted for her. Yeah, and right. I, I'm in. I'm already, I'm, I've right. taken the, uh, the pill, whatever, the red pill, right. um, in, in terms of that, because yes, I'm excited, you know. Um, I was afraid I would feel a sense of imposter syndrome, you know, it's like, <laughs> mm -hmm. well, we wrote it, but it's a right. creation of the show, right? Right, but, right, you know, Instead, right. I feel empowered by it, because I know those are my characters that we right. yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's, it's exactly the, the themes we were writing about. And mm -hmm. in fact, it's so interesting, because we wrote it last fall. I think we turned it in last fall. It's so relevant to, in some ways, events that are happening now. It's mm -hmm. not as political as, say, the episode replay, but people in are season gonna... one with Sanaa Lathan, where right. it was like police killing her son over and over, and no matter what she does, it's not that. Right. But it is very metaphorically uh, precise about this moment in American history and where right. we are, what we need to do, I think, to move forward. Now, right. jumping into that in the sense that you and Steve are now with Jordan Peele, um, if with Nia DaCosta, it's DaCosta, right, who's doing yeah. a new Candyman. Um, hello, Nia. Um, this new this new vanguard of black writers creating content, curating genre content, whether it's science fiction, whether it's horror, and 
I want to jump into what recently played out on the timeline on Twitter, where that new article just came out with Nicole Bahari. And <laughs> two, thing, two things, actually, talking about the idea of how we had this fandom a couple years ago where we had Sleepy Hollow and we also had Into the Badlands. And come to find out that all of that stuff that, Steve, you had talked about earlier, you and Shannon, you talked about earlier in terms of, you know, does this character need to be Black, to kind of the, the mm-hmm. obstacles to us being able to create content that we can see ourselves in. And it was just so heartbreaking to read that article that, that Nicole Bahari was talking about how they treated her on the set of Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. And it's even more disturbing because right after the article came out, Hillary, I know if you saw it, Shannard Arnold had chimed in on it. And we'd had Shannard on our show mm-hmm. when she first got on to Sleepy Hollow and her talking about how, yeah, she was literally told not to speak to Nicole. And she was specifically told that Nicole was, you know, quote unquote, she's crazy. She's oh, wow. difficult to work with. And how Nicole was blackballed from that. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know, uh, Tananari, how you felt in terms of... I mean, I don't know if you really were into Sleepy Hollow or into the Badlands. Listen. But I want to get you and Steve's input in terms of how all of a sudden it seems like Hollywood is having a reckoning. And and Hilliard, you were in the Los Angeles Times talking about diversity, how all of a sudden Hollywood is noticing... Did you guys get a chance oh, to see that? Oh, statement? I haven't seen that. I have yeah. to see that out. Where it's like, oh shit, black people exist, and oh shit, we've been problematic to them. We've been really shitting <laughs> to black writers. Problematic because we're contrary to their narrative. The narrative. <laughs> Say that one more time. It's like, look, it works like this from my position. I'm not. I don't consider myself terribly political, but I, I consider myself to be primarily philosophical. I am. She's political. the political <laughs> one. I'm very interested in the question: What is true? In looking at race in America, what is true is that there was an economic necessity for an agricultural people called slavery. We need to be able to extract the labor at below market value so that we can make our money. In order to do that, they had to justify it with a mythology, that mythology being that blacks were natural slaves. The slavery was good for us. And the way to do that is to say that we are intellectually and in some ways morally inferior. That is the mythology that we've been dealing with. And that mythology outlived the institution it was created to support. Gone with the wind. Crawl with Gone with the Wind states very clearly that the entire theme of it is that there was this wonderful civilization of, of, of cavaliers and their ladies, <laughs> and masters and slaves, this beautiful thing that is now the title, Gone with the Wind. That mythology held up for 400 years, mm-hmm. it only began to break down at the end of the 20th century when about 1970, people finally asked themselves, began asking themselves the question, what if black people are actually equal? Not not if we're human, that was the civil war. Not mm-hmm. if, we're, if, we're, if we deserve citizenship, that was the <clears throat> Equal Rights Amendment and the Voting Rights Amendment. But what if we're actually equal? What if white people would have suffered as much by slavery and, and <laughs> damaged as long? That question is the one that the South, which maintained the lives of their of their forefathers, needed desperately to keep off the table. Mm. Barack Obama and other factors tore a hole in that line. What you're now seeing is the collapse of a waveform. Here is the truth. Here was the lie. Lies require energy to support. The truth is just there. As the, as the lies begin to break down, people start asking the question, 
Well, if they're not inferior, and we were just being polite to treat them as if they were equal, if they're actually equal, what then? What does it mean? Who are we? What is America? Jordan Peele tore a brilliant hole in that with Get Out. I mean, the man is genuinely a genius, mm -hmm. make no mistake, he really is. Quentin Tarantino tore a hole in that with Django Unchained. Mm -hmm. Just this, and every time that happens. So now Hollywood is kind of saying, wait a minute. Well, who are they? And, and, and back to Sleepy Hollow. Yes. Uh, fortunately, that show was just a little bit too far ahead of the curve. Wait, wait, wait. Let me show you. Here's my Sleepy yeah. Hollow mug. Exactly. I got my little so, Sleepy Hollow mug. For those of you Fangirl. who are familiar, yes. Sleepy <laughs> Hollow is a, was a contemporary uh, series co-starring uh, Nicole Bahari and mm -hmm. Tom Middleston, right? Is that how his... Or was it Mison? Was it Mison? Mison, Tom oh, Mison. Well, yeah. You see who I was watching the show to watch. Okay. <laughs> no disrespect to, uh, to that cast. And by the end of season one, and a lot of us on Twitter bonded over it. A lot of oh my people God. had yes. Sleepy Hollow ha names as, as their Twitter handles. And yes. yep. Sleepy Hollow hashtag. And, and really, it's like a, a, a more innocent time in Twitter, in my memory, where we just had fun. You know, <laughs> we, were having, we, were, we were down with Black Lives Matter, but we also just laughed a lot more and, and hung out and watched TV a lot more. And, and it, was, it felt like it was a wildly successful show it, with mm -hmm. this Black co-lead in Nicole Bahari. Great actress, right? Great right. actress, and by the the season finale, season one, Amanda Stenberg was levitating, and someone was throwing red clay dust. Oh my which, God! You had heritage in there, Armando Jones, okay, yeah. John Jones. and I was I was terrified. I was, and I thought to myself, Oh my God, we have a black horror series. Yep. Yes. That's what I was thinking, and I feel like, and and I, I always talk and about a fun, and a fun and a fun gothic too. Right. Story, it was yeah. just, but but and I feel like somewhere at a network there was a meeting where they were like, oh my god, we have a black horror series, <laughs> but not in the fun way, not in the like, oh, this is great, what a great uh, demographic to because they're like they say in marketing, a starving hive, you know, mm -hmm. they're going to be fiercely loyal and support the show. It was like, oh no, we're going to drive away our white audience, and by the end of season, by the beginning of season two, Orlando Jones was in jail. Uh, mm -hmm. an authority figure and an, and an ally to Nicole Bahari. So that meant his whole family, including Amala Stenberg and, and his ex gone. were gone off the show. They tried everything they could to steer the energy away from Nicole Bahari's character. They gave it to the so, Katrina character, which is the, the white witch who yeah, didn't do anything. They nope. tried and then they, they killed her off. So, <sighs> you know. And then got rid of Orlando. I mean, come on. <laughs> and I don't think, I don't think she would mind me mentioning that we talked about this, Nicole Bahari and I. Mm -hmm. um, I was a huge fan, and she is a fan of my book, My Soul to Keep. Mm -hmm. So that's how we sort of came into each other's circle, and, and we had conversations. Uh, and I, I, you know, really, really felt for her as as an actress who has a sense of history because the series was about a man out of time. Right. Tyson's so character was a man out of time. They would right. go back in time. She had a an infamous encounter with the hologram of Thomas Jefferson. Right. And a lot of right. the black creators are like, are you kidding me? Right. <laughs> uh, like, right. that's how you wrote this encounter? Because there's so many things that my kids oh my God. say, yes. Thomas Jefferson, you know. Right. Um, and it's just missed opportunities, not understanding, it felt like. And I don't really mean any individual shade to any writers who came through that room, or I don't, I don't know the showrunners or anything like that. I just know that the show started out as one thing, 
and then denigrated to something else. Yep. And Nicole Bahari had a sense of history and she was aware of, of where it was falling short. And, you know, one or, or even two black writers in the writer's room isn't going to address it. Yeah. And a not, show not if they don't have any power in the room. Right. And, they, and they're trying to make money. I, I, I don't know if you saw that, Tanana Reeve. Uh, there was a, a young uh, Indian American writer who was also in the room and she had made some comments how that she, I think she said she was either on the second or the third season. And she said, even when she saw things were going off the rails, she's like, I got $2 in my bank account. Right. <laughs> I am, Sometimes you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a woman of color. Like I felt for her. I didn't, I couldn't, I like, I got to survive. That's right. Yeah. So th That's there right. was no one with enough power to ha really have her back. We See, haven't really coalesced around. See, this is amount. what systemic means. Right. It isn't about individual actions and individual bigotry and individual prejudice. It's understanding that systems tend to, to grow, to, to protect themselves. Right. That, that if you do not interrogate the assumptions behind a philosophical, behind a political position, you do not ask, is it true? Then it just goes on forever. It will keep going on, you know, because objects in motion remain in motion until they, until they run into an opposing force. What we're seeing right now in the streets is the kids saying, this is not the world we were promised. Mm. That, that we believe in the dream of America and where we're going is not the dream that I'm interested in investing in. If you're going to make them pledge allegiance every day at school for liberty and justice for all, then you damn sure better expect them to have a reaction when they realize, hey, that ain't See, not true. They didn't have any slaves. Right. Their parents and grandparents didn't have slaves, so they don't need to protect the lie. They love hip hop. They love us. You know, the girls would, you know, look at Denzel or whoever and drool and the guys look at, at Halle Berry or whoever and drool. And they know, you know, exogamy, the, the tendency to want to mate with those of the opposing tribe is an incredibly powerful force mm -hmm. in human nature. You have to pass laws to prevent it. We want to get together. We want to, that is the natural state of humanity is to get together. All we are seeing is the last gasp of the people who felt like they needed to protect the old way. Right. So we're going to get, it's not going to get all the way there, but we're going to get a serious shift. We could get 20% shift here. That's massive. Mm -hmm. That's massive. You know, don't expect us to get all the way to the promised land. Oh, please. It's going to be <laughs> a matter of let's set up our children. See, to me, the answer is very clear to all this stuff. If the problem is a lie, then the answer is the truth. It's as simple as that. If this is all based on a lie that was told about what we are, then all people have to do is tell the truth about who we are and you begin to break the pattern. So, I mean, of course, a lot of black artists are getting a lot of phone calls right now, getting right. opportunities right now. I mean, I, I've heard of a, patch, yeah. a past pitch I was involved with. It's getting a second look right now. Mm. So we have that spotlight on us and, and some great things are going to happen as a result of that. There will be projects that get a green light that, that mm. otherwise people still would have been straddling the fence. There, yep. I know I'm getting calls about meetings and we're getting calls about meetings, but that had actually started before, before even the other yeah. interest level in black projects because they make money. Okay, let's not. I mean, things were things were bubbling. Yeah, I felt within the, within the last two years they were bubbling and things were starting to turn. But I think this pivotal moment now it just kind oh, yeah. of catapulted everything. Absolutely, on, on a trajectory. Absolutely. There is an opening right now, and I want to 
take as much advantage of it as possible and make all that cheddar I can. Right. But I'm also very aware that I have to leave a trail of breadcrumbs for the next generation. And I may not be able to get all the way to the promised land. My favorite, I, I, yeah. I can hand the football off to somebody else. My, my favorite thing is, is putting people together, right? Yeah. So if I've made a connection, I, I love when I can, can, you know, send a script for somebody, you know, wherever. Um, because yeah, there's room for all of us, right? Right, right. I, yeah, and what's yours is meant for you. Right. Yes. We, we yes. have a relationship with Monkey Paw and I cherish that. One of my former students from UCLA. Camille, we love Jordan. Camille Ocean Dara is a cultural executive there. And so if I can send her a film from one of my students, how happy do you think that makes me feel? I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's what it's all about. But in terms of this, this spotlight on us, you know, there will be some people who benefit. I, I'm hoping Nicole Bahari will be one. She's had a tough road. Right. I saw someone tweet this. I wish I could remember who it was. You know how it is. You see something. Right, right, right. But for Miss, for this film to come out at this moment, at this, oh, this is perfect. a film. This is where preparation meets opportunity, right? Right, right. They had it, and not only they, not only did they have a beautiful film. I mean, it is beautiful. Mm -hmm. The cast is incredible. The direction is beautiful. The art direction is beautiful. It is high quality filmmaking. It should be on Oscar list as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. But at the same okay. time, it's teaching people about Juneteenth at the exact moment people are asking, what's Juneteenth? What's Juneteenth? <laughs> yes. Wait, 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 wait. Yes. Didn't, didn't Trump make it popular? I don't, I don't <laughs> Nobody would have known about it. Not you even have to remember. He put it on the map, didn't he? There's a, there's a verse in Revelations. Uh -oh. about how the beast will have his way for 42 months. You realize that next <laughs> month is, over. is 42 months? <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not into biblical revelations, but if I was going to, this is the time. It's okay. Remember that he is an effect, not the cause. He is not oh, invincible. That's true. That's true. He's not untouchable. He is the same as any number of other demagogues that have risen up over the course of human history, right. their time always passes. All we have to do is remember there are a lot more of us than there are of him. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, some of us can die, but you know something, death comes to everybody. And if right. our children must have a world that is better than the world we inherited, or we have failed them. And what yeah. a sense of relief that more people are waking up because, right. you know, we hang out on Twitter. We have been outraged and saddened and in grief over hashtags um, since before Trayvon, but Trayvon right. was what kicked off Black Lives Matter. Right. That, was, that was the beginning. And, and so much of that journey, even Ferguson, I remember feeling like I was in this alternate universe where right. the whole country was mourning the death of Robin Williams. Right. I love Robin Williams. Right. But dang, they're throwing tear gas in people's porches in Ferguson. They're arresting reporters and there, there wasn't a lot of national notice until they started uh, arresting reporters. In, in from one perspective, if you can understand why white America needed to believe that this was all nonsense, needed to believe that the police couldn't possibly be doing this, <laughs> needed to believe that these people must have done something to cause this, it's because their entire image of themselves and their country was shaped in a particular way. It was that lie. They believed it. They weren't sitting back rubbing their hands, twisting their mustaches and saying, ha, 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 we're getting people to believe a lot. They actually believed this. I mean, how can you help it even through all this? And I know a lot of people have given up cop shows, but but I, we're still watching Dexter and uh, Columbo at night, you know, uh -huh. because I, I, get, Justice. I get the difference between fantasy cops and real cops. And right. I think for too many uh, Americans, 
having grown up on a diet of what's called propaganda and it was I love it. I love it. That's a shirt. That's a shirt. From the days of Dragnet, because I've listened, I'm I'm old school with old radio. I have listened to every episode of Dragnet on the radio. And there was never a time a police officer was found to have done wrong. Right. They were accused of it. Either they didn't do it or it was somebody else. Now look, I ended up in jail (laughs) when I was in high school because I believed Dragnet. Mm, and explain. Well, basically what happened is that somebody threw a firecracker into the girl's senior boardroom. A girl picked it up and it blew up next to her face. So I'd heard, I knew the girl. I knew that she'd gone to the hospital. I went into the room and because I was a chemistry nerd, I could smell the air and tell that it was made, that the firecracker had been made from potassium permanganate and aluminum powder. Wow. When the cops came in, I told them this. Mm. They, of course, immediately assumed that I had done it. <laughs> they arrested me. They actually took me down to juvenile hall and put me in a cell without either booking me or fingerprinting me. Wow. If my mother, who was a real estate broker who had sold the house to John W. Mack, the president of the Urban League in California, if she had not known him, I don't know how long I would have stayed in there. They had me in there for two nights without booking me. No due process. Wow. No due process. Right. Nothing. So that was my wake up call. Oh my God! You mean they're not Joe Friday? Right. So, and I have something <laughs> like that in my my novel I just finished writing, where this kid is literally in 1950. So you're listening to Dragnet on the radio, mm-hmm. but that doesn't represent Sheriff Posey, you know, who works right. in your town at the least. And I think a lot of us as Black Americans always got that disconnect. Although some of us less than others, depending mm-hmm. on what your background was. You know, I grew up in the suburbs. We had Officer Friendly, Ralph Rosendale at my mm-hmm. middle school. And he was, I think, what those so-called school resource officers are supposed to be. People who were there to interact with the kids, get you interested in policing, you know. And and, and my mom must have been rolling her eyes that I was in the future police officers club. <laughs> <laughs> But a lot of black kids would not have joined that future police officer. Is that why you have the handcuffs? No. no. (laughs) (laughs) But um, but yeah, so it's not everybody understood that those were fantasy cops. But when you really think about it, our whole lives, we have been watching some of our most beloved television programs about Mm -hmm. uh, people who have integrity, the protagonists that um, that we are identifying with because the story is through their eyes. They rarely do anything wrong, but if they do something wrong, it's in the service of getting justice. And so we accept their little- Yeah, Dirty Harry. We accept their little like, well, let me just plant this over here. Or let me just, you know, put some fingerprints on this guy. Or as as Dave Chappelle would say, let me sprinkle a little crack on him. But but for the most part, we're buying in. We're buying in, it's okay, because we've seen how bad the bad guy is. And by any means necessary. And then as a society, that's where we were. So, I mean, it's a horrible, uh, idea to even think of as a blessing. But even in the midst of protests worldwide against police brutality and police killings, in those first two weeks, those officers could not pull out of their culture enough to even be on good behavior. They, right. you know, it, it's it's like kettling protesters in places where they can't escape so you can beat them up so they're going Thank God for curfew. video. Yeah. Thank I mean, God for video. And what right. is the lesson from the 1960s? White people too. Okay, because it wasn't just James Cheney who died in Mississippi during Freedom Summer. It was also Andrew um, Goodman and Mickey Schwerner who were white sure. Jewish protesters. Sure were. That's right. And well, there are a lot of allies. There have been out there. a lot of allies out there with bloody faces. You know, if we can, uh, and we can some love of them ourselves. Getting killed. If we right. can love ourselves enough to forgive ourselves for our own personal failures, 
if we can extend our sense of humanity to others so we can see that most violence comes from anger and anger comes from fear, mm -hmm. and ask ourselves, what are they afraid of? The, the cure for fear is love and gratitude and strength, strength. and truth. Strength. I believe that love, <laughs> that strength, love and truth will get us all the way through this. But first, you have to be safe. You know, you don't start by opening your heart. You start by making contact with that animal part of you that says, I will fuck you up. <laughs> if, if you mess with my family, I will kill you and I'll be right. happy to die doing it. Like Dave Chappelle said at the last, at the end of his last special that, that ran on Netflix. On YouTube. On YouTube. On YouTube. Uh, 846. 846. Rat-a-tat-tat. -tat. You know, I mean, not that I'm saying I'm going to grab a gun and shoot anybody, but if uh, at a certain point, if a population feels as as exposed and threatened as, as we do, of course people are going to strike back. You yeah. know, we're not superhuman. Yes. So if you, if you, you better that. listen, you better listen. And I think well, a lot of people are listening. Yes, they have to, they, they're listening because at the core of it, we're not saying we want to thank you. What we're saying is we want our children to grow up with the same rights and privileges that you have. When Bree Newsom climbed that that top, that, that, Flag that flagpole, took down the I could not right. have done that. You know. It required somebody younger than me. The generation that I came from, you know, it was it was March. It was keep your head down. I needed, you know, fifty almost fifty years of martial arts training just to right. feel safe enough to be myself. And, to, to, and so the kids now, their attitude is, wait a minute, why don't you explain to me exactly why I'm not, I don't deserve the same rights you have. Why my children don't deserve the same rights your children do. And in fact, if you would like to discuss this outside, we can step out there and discuss it. <laughs> That's what Bree Newsom was. I looked at that and I said, oh my God, warrior woman. And we, but, you know, we have a 16 year old son who's six foot three. Oh my God, Jason is six feet three now. And, you know, he already has his stories. Um, he's, he sees a profiling incident in a park where he doesn't really play anymore because I, I expect as a 12 or 13-year-old, he was seeing his future at, at this 16, 17-year-old boy who was being harassed by police for literally no reason, um, except a neighbor had reported, I even tracked it down with a police chief, a neighbor had reported a suspicious person. So even if you have a chief, who, and this is why I talk, talk of reform, I'm just like, look, what are we reforming here? Because uh, <laughs> as long as the neighbors are racist and the police are acting in, at their behest, right? then that's a racist institution. I'm right. sorry. Right. And, right. and, and he's I noticed was... how quick they are to have their hands near their gun, even oh, in yeah. conversation. It's like... Oh, yeah. And they've already, they've already taken the... the yeah, the safety, safety's off. Safety's right. off. Yeah. The trip. And they know that they can kill one person and probably get away with no. it. No, what's right. going to happen? I mean, they, they know that. They, they know that, that over the if they're a cop, over the course of their career, they could probably get away with one unrighteous kill and never spend a day in jail. But the it. fact of it is, is many of them get away with more than one. Yes, And, and no one was saying anything. And even, and even with all this... That guy was kneeling on uh, Floyd's neck for yeah. eight and a half minutes with that expression on his face saying, what you going to do? Exactly. What you going to do? I'm going to right in front of you yeah. in slow motion. What you Here's the truth. I was, I was on a podcast yesterday, a Facebook Live podcast for a friend of mine's show, and we were talking all about the letter that we put out. I sent it to you, by the way, to Nana Reef, Okay. Uh, so you can see it. And um, we were talking about the letter, and I was telling him about how I live in West Hollywood, right? I drive the Starskin Hutch car. Oh, you do? Yeah. Literally. It, no, literally. Old, so. He's I love not old. lying. It's the actual car. <laughs> the actual what? Car. The actual you bought car. it in Washington? 
Listen, sorry, Chris, you, you actually got the car. Oh yeah, Christine. <laughs> oh wow, so, that is. And so I was telling him about how, and I've told you this before, Lisa. I haven't worn a hoodie since what was it, Trayvon Martin? Right. I mean, I won't wear a hoodie. Mm-hmm. I never play rap music in my car. You know, I'm always playing reggae or like James Brown or like something old school, you know. I'll put it on the classical if I'm being pulled you know? <laughs> Yeah, I do, I do it intentional. Country Western. But I was telling him about how I do it intentional because I'm trying not to draw a certain type of attention to myself. Absolutely, yeah. Right? It's already going to get attention because of the car that it is, right? And I always have it gleaming, shining when I'm driving, you know. But so I'm always playing reggae or something else. So it's a neutral thing, right? And so um, I was telling him, I said, see, you would just get in the car and go wherever you want to go. I mm. know I probably can't drive my car through South Central mm. because it might be mistaken that I'm driving that type of a red car mm. to the younger. Now, the older guys are going to know, oh, that's the car from Starskin Hutch. Right. The younger kids, they'd be like, who's that dude driving that red car? Right, right, you know right, I mean? right. So I, I said, there's, there's so many things in our lives that we have to be careful of that right. you guys just drive. You just do your thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. So, just a fast, I was thinking about your son and right. thinking about all the things that I go through in my life on a regular basis. And my husband's white, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we, I live in both worlds. Yeah. You know? So it's fascinating to me. No, well, the, the talk to my son before he goes out has turned into the speech at this point, you know? And uh, like, yeah, I heard you, mom. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and he says, I know, I know, I know. But in my heart, I know he doesn't know. Right. Yeah, and that's the heartbreaking Yeah, part. he thinks he knows. Yeah. Right. You know, it, ain't, it ain't what you know. It ain't what you it ain't what you don't know that kills you. It's what you do know that ain't so. I mean, right. the eighteen-year-old Latino security guard shot. Yes, yes, in yes. the LAPD just this right. week on his knees. So how do running. you how do you look at that and not hate? Because right. hate is the anger, which is the right. fear. Right. Being able to live your life with joy. That you know, the Dalai Lama said that the purpose of life is to seek joy. Mm-hmm. To the degree that that is true, if you accept that, then the purpose of a political life would be to seek joy in a way that is not only good for you and the people around you, but ultimately serves your people and even a higher purpose than that, to be in alignment mm-hmm. with God, to be in alignment with, with what is good for our nation, what is mm-hmm. good for our community, what is good for our family, what is good for our hearts. To have that all lined up, I want nothing more than that for my son. I will do right. anything. I will move heaven and earth to give him as much of that as I possibly can. And, we, and we've had many um, touchstones from the news in terms of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. Let's not forget that. It just happened. Right. Right. Let's right. go on and on and on. Richard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But also, Tony uh, McKay, yeah. a thread on Twitter looking at how artists have been trying to tell us. Mm-hmm. Uh, for years in, mm-hmm. in, in black art. So there's Jordan Peele's Get Out, where he told mm-hmm. my class at UCLA that the sunken place made him cry when he was writing that scene because he realized it was about mass incarceration, wow. throwing black bodies into holes, right? Wow. So he's telling the story through his prism. And Rusty Cundiff in the 90s had addressed police brutality. Fear of a black hat? In, mm-hmm. Fear of a black hat, the, but Tales from the Hood, hood he, one of his segments is very specifically about police brutality. Yep. And police murder. And Spike Lee, of course, iconic, mm-hmm. would do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the list goes on. I mean, it's like artists have been trying to tell you was that what I was saying in my tweet. But what I, I really mean is that I think we can also give artists some credit, and not just in film, but those came to mind, mm-hmm. for helping to prepare the white community's mind to embrace more of the truth, to realize that that this art has been telling the same story as these hashtags. Right. 
and we were trying to get you to pay attention before any buildings were burning. Not right. that Black Lives Matter activists were the ones burning most of these right. buildings, I will say. Right. But, but, you know, now you're paying attention. Thank goodness you're paying attention. And art does have a role and has value in helping to wake people up. It reminds me of what F.E.T. Brown just said recently, an article <laughs> when she was talking about how, with Project Greenlight, how she okay. felt like she had been, because of that, Matt Damon. Con- con- that conversation, <laughs> confrontation with, with I was so proud of her in that moment. I'm sorry. And, and how she had talked about, you know, when she was honest and straightforward and just said, you know, uh, uh, when Matt Damon had said, you know, it's not about, uh, you know, yeah, the people in front, you know, you know, and she was trying to talk about, yeah, it's the people in behind the scenes too that, you know, that make up the stuff. diversity. Yeah. Right. And he was like, oh, no, no, no. And how after that, she said that she felt like she had just been pretty much blackballed and just, you know, the same as Nicole Bahari. And, you know, so many of our our talented people who are trying to bring new, innovative, creative things. And, you know, I've met Effie before. She's amazing. Yes, I know Effie. But to to have her say that and to have it all, all the truth is being laid out right now. Yeah, um, everything she had said that people are like, "Oh, you! How dare you say that to Matt Damon? What are you talking about?" It's all coming to fruition. I mean, yeah, yeah. Hillier, can you just before we close out, can you just give yeah. a tiny bit of what the letter that you guys wrote to that that yeah, was in so, the um, Myself, uh, Michelle Amore, um, my co-chair of the Black Committee of Black Writers of the Writers Guild, and Bianca Sams. So we've in this time that we're in, we're all angry. You know, we're all frustrated. We're all scared. We're, we're at what all these feelings are. We put out a statement to the industry through the Writers Guild, the first ever, by the way, that they've allowed any, any of the committees to put out a letter on behalf, you know, representing the Guild from okay. their point of view. And they pretty much kept it pretty word for word. Hmm. And right. I mean, with a few minor tweaks here and there, we, get, we still said what we wanted to say. You see the fight in it. You see the angst. You see, and we're calling people out, mm. you know, and we are telling the truth. Mm-hmm. So all week long, we, we dropped it on the 12th. So for the last week, almost every day, we've been interviewed by like another. We've been on the Forbes magazine yes. everywhere, over like two dozen, you know, articles and whatever. And so, and news magazines and, you know, NBC Live and like all this shit. And so um, in, the, in the article, it's really about our call to Hollywood, you know, demanding them, you know, since uh, Netflix and HBO and all these people are saying, well, we're going to, you know, put our money where our mouth is. We're like, well, damn it, do it. And yeah, call let's it. see it. I, know, I, the banners it. are cute. Yes. But what's cuter is the opportunities. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so we're literally going yeah. in on them. I mean, no holds barred. Stop the bullshit. You know, we talk about how they staff writers. We talk about how they hire writers. We, we give you stats. We, like, went in. Good. So y'all have got to read this one. I think you Absolutely. guys are really appreciate it. And to bring this to a close, because Tanana yeah. Reeve and Steven, we've got to have you guys come on again, because I really oh, want you to go in on the life writing and really get people... We need to do some craft. We need to craft. Lifewritingpremium.com and afrofuturismwebinar.com. You people can find us. They can get as close to us as they want. Right. And the important thing is, because your episode on the Jordan Pills New Twilight Zone that's on Hulu. Uh, yeah, it's just so, 
CBS All Access. CBS, sorry, CBS All Access. I thought Hulu was going to have something on there, or were they? Were they? Was it a last season? I don't know. Okay, so CBS All Access. All right, people, CBS All Access. They're dropping all the episodes, so we we can binge them and see them. I think it's so timely that your episode really is about shaping change and being able to manipulate and to have a black character doing that. Yes, I feel like, as always, things in the universe line up. And I'm so glad that you guys are, are have an opportunity to have something creative and genre bending and sci-fi and being on one of my favorite shows that my mother got me watching when I was a child. Tanana Reeve, you said this before, your mom is like my mom. Got us both involved in horror very early. Yes. And we've got, just between us and, and Steven, we've got to do like maybe some type of Zoom or something, or maybe another podcast episode here where we talk about... And I know you've talked about it a lot when you did when you produced horror noir Tananarive, but really how horror really get to the nitty gritty of how horror shapes us. Because I know if people don't know this, Tananarive's mom Patricia Dew was like hardcore activist. I mean, she was injured fighting for black people. Yes, you know where she lost like part of her eyesight. Well, she was very sensitive to light after very being the light. Yeah, she was, yeah. Her, her eyesight was affected from it where we can have to go in and talk about how horror and specifically black, how I guess kind of like how horror actually helps saves black people in a sense let, of preparing us for let, things. Let's do it around the new Candyman, you know? Okay, yes. Ooh, I'm very yes. eager to see how Nia DaCosta and maybe we can invite Nia to come in and, and, be great. and talk about that because I think it's so important. But yep. I really just want to say thank you so much for Finally, oh my God, I wish it could have been where we could have been in, in West Hollywood and Hilliard's oh, office. That would have been great. It's always fun to be in person, but sincerely, you guys have both been my mentors and every chance I get, I try to signal boost you and let people know that we have masters of the craft among us right. that oh, who are open, who are teaching, who are giving tools that, to make so much better. And we're in a very critical <laughs> time right now. Yes. And... I think black art, once again, is going to save us. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that we let a lot of our listeners out there, I mean, all of our creative people, wherever background you're from, but in particular, black people to understand that this is a moment and we have to run with it. Yes. yes. You yeah. Know? yeah it'll close back up again. It but will. if we can run far enough right now, then we can hand that football off to the next generation Absolutely. and they'll take yes. it. Yes. 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 You know, yes. we got we got a game right now. Yes, so, you do. know, there it's it's really interesting. Very people like Jordan Peele are quarterbacks. <laughs> I am happy to play on his team. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> la- last thing from you two, what's what else is coming up on the pipeline for you that you can actually share? Yeah. If it's something that you under wraps. And throw and throw out your Twitter or Instagram. Or we you can find that. you where people Well, can absolutely. I'm at Tanana Rebdu on Twitter and Instagram. And mm-hmm. actually I have fan pages on Facebook under just my name too. Yeah. Um, in terms of projects, I just finished a novel called The Reformatory that already has film interest. I'm still, I haven't even started yet. So that's a first. And I don't know when that'll be out, but hopefully soon. And also we have a graphic novel, a horror graphic novel that script. Yes. I get it over that finish line as, as I said, happens with most scripts, but we were able, John Jennings acquired it for um, uh, Abrams comic arts and the new uh, imprint. And that'll be out hopefully soon. We're working on it right now. 
I'm shout, out, shout out to John. Yeah. Oh, the keeper, the keeper. And I've got another graphic novel with John called The Eightfold Path that I'm doing with Charles Johnson. National you know? Book Award winner. Um, wow, Charles Johnson. It's like an EC comic book. They're eight EC comic book style stories, horror, science fiction, war, stuff like this. Only each of them has a theme of that represents one of Buddhism's eightfold path to awakening, right speed, wow. right action. So it's the high and the low in that wow. sense. Uh, I'm working on scripts. I'm working on another novel with my mentor, Larry Niven. Um, and there are a couple of television things that we can't quite talk yeah, about. Yeah, bubbling. Yeah, they're, they're, they're bubbling. They're, they're, they're right. bubbling. So we're, you know, I've, we've got a couple dozen different things that are that are cooking. Right. So the, the trick to all of those is the same thing as, as, as a chess master playing a dozen different games. You don't remember all the different games. When you look at the chess board, you know what the position is, so you know what to do next. The right. same thing is true with me and the, all these different projects. You know, it's like I have to clean my mind of the last one, get back over here. Oh, what is what? What can I do on this today? Right. Just one day at a time, and yeah. just do today what there is to be done today, and tomorrow will take care of itself. Awesome. That's a great note. To end yeah, it. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you guys. This was awesome. Thank you. This is so great. Happy yeah. Father's Day. Finally, finally. Yeah. Yes. We appreciate having you guys. You guys are awesome. Oh, and everybody you. needs to be following you guys. You know, I follow you, Tanana Reeve, on, on Twitter and stuff. You'd be saying yeah. some great shit. I know. <laughs> after, they, after they close the door back on us, they're going to be reading our tweets from 2020 going uh, <laughs> yeah, my, my website is stephenbarneslife.com. Stephen Barnes Life. Afrofuturism and Black Horror Classes, uh, Black, but uh, sunkenplaceclass.com, yeah. afrofuturismwebinar.com, and lifewritingpremium.com. Get them all in there. Get them all in. Yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. Great right. to talk to you fun. guys. Thank you, guys. Lisa, okay. where are you at? I, well, you know, I'm on Twitter on what fresh hell is this? You know, I have my burner accounts too, so I dip and move. <laughs> but the main one is what what fresh hell is this? And you know, it's me because I have the original Black Mermaid on there. So I see it. I yeah. See so it. yeah, yeah. As was up, and I'm your host Hilliard Guest. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram at Hilliard Guest. You can follow the show Screenwriters RR on Twitter. Any questions, screenwritersrantroom at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, um, Spotify, Google Play, anywhere you can find the podcast, we're out there. Trust me, you can find us. Please um, go on our screenwritersrr.com. You could buy T-shirts. You could um, um, support our Patreon, all that stuff up there. So we appreciate all you guys all over the world who listen to the show. You know, all the kick-ass black and people of color writers out there who are doing great shit. Um, keep doing more great shit. <laughs> and um, definitely follow, follow, follow Tanetta Reeve and Steven because these are, these are, are I don't want to call you elders because you guys are vampires. Hey. Um, our, our, grown, our grown folk. I'm totally okay with, with, with being an elder. I mean, it, it's, I, I understand. It's my turn in the barrel, you know, if you, know, if you understand that nasty little yeah, joke. Yeah, it's, it's yes. the others did it for me. I'm happy to do it for others. Simple. Well, I just, I just so, had a writer, I had a writer call me an elder the other day and I was like, oh yeah, I guess I, I will be 50 in September. Hey, so. look, you're a vampire. You <laughs> oh yeah, you know, you know, you know, staying done with Jenny Craig. All right, bye-bye guys. Great to talk. So thank you guys. Bye-bye. Join in with me, Lisa, right quick. Y'all yeah. know how we do it on the rant room. And shout out to Chris Derrick, who isn't with us today, um, but he'll be with us next week. Um, Y'all know how we do it on the rant room. On this show, we keep it real. We keep it opinion opinionated. We keep it what, Lisa? <laughs> it is what it is. It is. Bye, y'all. Thank you, guys. I'm going to say what I feel. 
And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room.